Welcome back. You're listening to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove. Well, it's raining again in Estes Park, Colorado. What am I going to say? You already know it. You already know what I'm going to say. We need the moisture. We do. We really do. And uh, we're getting it, thankfully. Man, I went down to the valley yesterday to cover the, uh, the Covo disposition hearing. And um, at the greens and the yellows and the the, the uh, lavenders and such, it's just all exploding. Man, I, I tell you, like spring and fall are visually my my uh, favorite seasons of the year. So many different um, shades and tints of green. It's just amazing. All right, well we we've got a lot of stuff to cover today. We've got uh, I've got an update from the. Uh, the school board of education meeting, the SS Park School District R3 Board of Education. They had a regular meeting last night. They also had a special session beforehand, um, which we got some good news there uh, just in the candidate for superintendent. But there's uh, there's some allegations going around the community that actual laws were broken, and there's a letter that's being distributed. I got it, uh, I think, like 1145 uh, Sunday night. And, um, yeah, so that I, I, I've already reached out to the school district and requested statements regarding the allegations. So we'll see what they have to say back. Um, I'm going to just do a, a little mini update on the, the school board, uh, board of education meeting and, and updates, because I have an interview tomorrow with one of the people who happens to be an attorney that put together this letter with the allegations and such and really has dug into whether or not Colorado state law has been violated. Um, so we're going to get into that to a lot more detail. Hopefully tomorrow. I was uh, emailing back and forth this morning. And uh, so we'll see. Hopefully the interviews tomorrow. I haven't said it for sure. And as you're all finding out, um, Sometimes interviews, you, you set them up and you get them locked into your calendar and everything's good to go. And then that just gets blown completely out of the water. So you never know. Um, what else are we talking about? So we've got the the Kobo disposition hearing update, and I do have some updates there. Nothing too ground shaking because, of course, they haven't actually entered any sort of trial yet. It's just where they're deciding whether or not to do a, a plea agreement, which is what a disposition hearing is. So we're going to update on that. I went down to the, the courthouse yesterday and um, recorded a little thing right afterwards. But first off, we're going to start off with, uh, I talked with local resident Patty Brown, who's a newer resident, but uh, she she really just jumped in feet first with plugging into the community. And um, she's been involved with the effort to, to help fix some of the issues uh, with the United States Postal Office here in town. And as if you live here in Estes, um, yeah, things aren't good. They haven't been for a long time. And this is, this is an issue that's affected my family quite a bit. You know, my wife being medically disabled and me traveling at times, um, 
it, it becomes very difficult for people with disabilities to get their mail. And, and if you are, say, living in poverty or on Medicaid, Medicare, um, you know, you needing to to interface with local government and federal government because there a lot of this stuff, it's required that you're able to get mail through the post service. And um, sometimes that's just not working out. Uh, we've actually given up completely on the post office, but you know, we're starting to hear some some rather petty complaints and um, from you know petty ends in um, you know the some of the employees are are not acting as professionally as we would hope. So we're going to talk about that and then the the bigger interview with Patty is going to be about the Big Kahuna fundraiser. So as many of you probably know, Big Kahuna was the iconic elk that has been the uh, the star of just so many photos and videos. And just when you think of elk in Rocky Mountain National Park here in Colorado, that, that iconic bull elk with just that massive crown of a rack um, he really was the king of uh, king of the park, and um, of course he uh, he 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 passed away uh, recently. And then there was the whole mystery of what happened to Kahuna's head because the head had been removed and taken, um, and he only had one of his his antlers at the time. He had he had shed one of the antlers before he passed away. And uh, apparently someone took it, uh, removed the head and took it. it, it it's since been found. There was a big uh, community effort to find the head of Kahuna. And uh, we were successful in that. So um, the head's been returned. So if there was any curse involved with the taking of that head, I think, I hope, we'll knock on wood, that uh, no curses were involved. But you never know. And um, so we're going to talk about that. Um what else have we got coming up this week? We've got, uh, I'm going to be talking with, uh, so just an update on the the stories dealing with uh, the Fall River Resort and the Stanley Hotel. I've got more interviews lined up. I've, I've been continuing to do interviews, but I've really got to make sure that everything's squared away legally before I put this stuff out. So I actually have appointments this week with uh, an attorney I have in the Denver area that uh, I'll be talking with later on this week. And I'm just going to make sure all my ducks are in a row before I um, before I put that out, um, because we know that that's oftentimes a way they try to silence people talking uh, about the truth of, of things. And uh, so that's an update on that. And I think that's it. I think I'll probably remember something here in a little bit and jump in and, and put it back there. So uh, let's let's take care of some of the business side of things. I just want to thank our sponsors, the uh, the Historic Park Theater and the Real Mountain Theater, uh, Real Mountain Cinema, and uh, you know two movie theaters here in Essex Park. So um, definitely, it's time to get back out there and start going to the movies again. You can see what movies are playing anytime you want just by going to the Colorado Switchblade and clicking on the banners that are at the bottom of. Um, any one of the episodes of our or articles, there's a couple banners at the bottom. They're actually clickable. You click them and it'll bring you right to the scheduling website um, for the different theaters. So we will um, just wanted to, to give my appreciation for that sponsorship. So let's go ahead and jump into first thing I'm going to do is 
um, give the updates on the uh, school board meeting. And um, so, yeah, we're going to jump into our interviews and such. I'm also going to read the letter for uh, the, the letter that's going around the community. And I'm also going to put it into the text of the show notes so that everyone can read it for themselves. And again, hopefully tomorrow we will have an interview with the attorney that helped to draft that letter and do the research into whether or not Colorado state law has been violated. So yeah, let's just, uh, let's jump into the other part of the podcast. All right, folks, we're here outside of Lamar County courthouse. Um, just had the disposition hearing for the Mendoza case, the Covo case, as we know it, they're locally in SS park. Um, there was an offer made by the prosecution on a plea deal 20 minutes before the hearing. Now, keep in mind, this was a disposition hearing. So that means basically that uh, the two parties are expected to see if they can work out a plea deal or decide to take it to trial. So um, according to the defense, the uh, prosecution offered a plea deal just 20 minutes before the actual hearing. Um, so they need to take time to uh, weigh that. Um, so the uh, defense said they needed to ask for at least one more continuance, and that was agreed to by the DA. And um, it turns out that the electronic evidence that uh, had been processing at the lab the last time there was a in-person date um, has gotten back. Um, They're also waiting on a mental health evaluation uh, for the defendant. The next case is gonna be, the next hearing will be at the 27th, of June at 3 p.m. It'll be another disposition meeting. Um, They're now at the end of the discovery and negotiation phase, and the judge did mention that she expects a plea or to go to trial at the next um, the next hearing. This time, the, uh, the, the victim and the family were there in attendance. There was an ASL interpreter brought in, um, so uh, a member of the family would be able to understand what was happening. Um, they were also apprised that they can reject the, uh, if they decide to go to a plea deal, um, they can they can voice their opinion and say that they would rather not do that plea deal. Um, however, the decision is ultimately up to the judge. So that's the update so far on the Kovo case, and um, I'll be back uh, covering things in June. All right. Next, we're going to jump into the happenings at the school board meeting last night with the Board of Education for the SS Park School District R3. So the good news is that um, there's only one major and very uh, good candidate, I think. I think Ruby Bode is, uh, is a good candidate for superintendent. She was named the sole finalist. Um so the, uh, the, the board will establish a stakeholder committee to interview and then take that feedback and conduct their own interviews. Um, and that's going to happen, it sounds like, in about two weeks. Um, and the HR director for the district, the human relations uh, director, will uh, or human resources, sorry, human resources director, will head up the process for the committee. Um, another, on another note, both of the science curriculums were approved unanimously. And um, the there was a great presentation actually by the PBL, the 
<sighs> project based learning, the two teachers that head that up. And I know uh, my teenager Lux has talked about that program before. Uh, I think we were actually, it was, I was getting ready to do the disclosure project. I was saying like, look, we just need to stick cameras like on top of the observatory and all over town facing up and just see if we can capture any of these, these UAPs. Um, and she's like, that'd be a perfect project for the project based learning program. And, uh, so I, uh, I went ahead and at, at the meeting, the, the, the two teachers were there and it was a great presentation. Like go back. Um, if you go to the district webpage, you can, uh, view the zoom video of that. And, uh, they put on a great presentation. I'd love to talk with them. I've always had thoughts of, uh, uh, you know, helping kids with, I, I've tried to get my own daughter to just start their own underground newspaper for the high school and uh, junior high, like use Substack, do it the way I'm doing it, and uh, just start your own new media version of an underground school newspaper. I know like back in high school, I was involved with underground. Um, we called them zines in the day. Um, I've, I've had many zines in my history, but uh, so we, um, anyway, yeah, so there's that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. So this, again, this letter has been circulated it, it went out via email and I, I believe it's originating from the same group that did the big 150 person approximately 150 person that signed the letter um stating that they were not very happy about what happened with the the quick and and secretive uh uh, departure of superintendent, former superintendent Sheldon Rosencrantz. So I just want to take time to read this letter before we get into our other interviews, because I think it's important. And uh, I don't know, honestly, if it's going to make it out through other media. So I just wanted to make sure that um, the community here and, and outside of Estes Park could, could hear the thoughts because it, it is representing a group of educators and stakeholders in the community that are close to 150 strong, at least during the first letter. And I will say that public attendance at that last meeting, I know it's the, the last uh, regular board meeting for the Board of Education during the school year. And, you know, usually there's like, I don't know, maybe three people that show up to these things if we're lucky. And I think other than staff that were there and doing presentations, at least in person, there was three or four people there, including myself, um, at the board meeting. So, Again, look, change doesn't happen when there's there's a big dramatic issue happening. Change in our community for the better happens in the the slow periods, in the quiet times. That's when we've got to be active. We've got to get ourselves to these meetings. And our power to change reality really it, it, it emanates from being engaged in local politics. That's why I'm doing these, you know, covering different town issues, covering the school board. I don't really, it's not my gig. Like it wouldn't be the first thing I chose to do with my free time, but um, I do feel strongly that this is the only way we change it. And the only way we get people fired up to get involved is, is to tell them about the issues in a way that, that's easily understood and, and keep on top of it. So, and if no one else is out there doing it, then it, it kind of falls on me. So I'm, I'm going to do that, continue to do it. Um, but, but I think everyone needs to start engaging more. We, we have such a potential to change our local world here by just paying attention and getting active. Like let's just 
plug in. Let's become the architects of our own futures. And, uh, you know, that's all I can say. I mean, I, I had hoped that, uh, you know, covering the, the, the town trustee elections and such would, would help facilitate a, a, a larger voter turnout, especially among young, younger demographics. Like the future is ours. If you're, if you're a young family in Estes Park, like it's, it's up to us. There's no help coming. It's up to us to get plugged in, to run for office, to get on boards, to figure out what's going on so that we have a future here, so that we can have affordable workforce housing and and child daycare and, and all of that stuff that is just so critical to the future of our community. Um, you know, we can't. We can't rely on those that don't have a vested interest in our future beyond their own lifespan. We've we've got to take ownership and help ourselves. All right, I'm going to get off the soapbox now and uh, get back to things. All right, let's read this letter. The underside alleged that the Estes Park School District Board of Education has violated the law in its recent executive session terminating the superintendent's contract before public comment was received and by apparently discussing the action in private communications outside of the open meetings requirements. The president of the Board of Education of the Estes Park School District has twice insisted that the recent termination slash dismissal of the superintendent of schools, Sheldon Rosencrantz, was totally legal. And that's put in quotes. The response to inquiries and public comment shows a deliberate disregard for transparency, fairness, slash ethics, the law, and administrative process. The specific violations of the Colorado Open Meetings Law were engaging in private communications between board members on a matter that is only allowed at open meeting and after public announcement holding a meeting for a formal action and adopting it in an executive closed session, holding a meeting involving the dismissal, discipline, or compensation of an employee that was not open to the public, a special session implying that the decision voting to terminate Mr. Rosencrantz's contract and adopting the mutual separation termination agreement, terminations in parentheses, asked us to accept that all of that was done in about an hour while discussing a legal position to take may be done in closed session, any action taken at the meeting that was not first had the opportunity for public input violates the open meetings law. Another provision specifically addressing an unemployment or sorry, an employment discipline invites public input unless the employee requests it be closed. The board made a decision, had an agreement in closed session, voted on it, and then had public input at the following regular board meeting. Private communications between board members regarding a planned action is also illegal. As outlined below, it appears private emails and conversations took place prior to that special session. There must, These must be made public. This is not how we expect the Board of Education to behave. Their abuse of power has violated trust in a significant part of the community. It will take more than just technically being legal to regain that trust. The remedy for the alleged violations detailed below, as shown by a recent Colorado judicial opinion, 
is an injunction and or the voiding or invalidation of the action, or given that the newly elected majority won election by just a handful of votes, a recall would have a likelihood of success, particularly when it appears that the action was taken because of the personal opposition by some board members to the superintendent's administration. And that, this is a side note, I, I can verify that. I will put that out in the core release I got. I'm going to include that with the the interview with the attorney. I'm going to put everything else back out. But there were emails um, to the previously existing board specifically about Stacey Furry's uh, dislike of Sheldon Rosencrantz. And I'm going to be releasing those as well. All right, where were we? Dismissing him with weeks left in the school year is highly unusual and probably wasted close to $200,000 of district money that does not represent good stewardship or taxpayer funding. The legal violations under the quoted sections of the Colorado Revised Statutes Title 24, titled Government State Administration Article 6, the Colorado Sunshine Law Part 4 Open Meetings Law, and that's Colorado Revised Statute 24-6-401, and that was in 2012, appear to be as follows. The following may not be done in an executive closed session. No adoption of any proposed formal action shall occur at any executive session that is not open to the public, emphasis added. Additionally, the law expressly adds all meetings held to consider the dismissal, discipline, promotion, demotion, or compensation of or the investigation of charges or complaints against an employee shall be open to the public unless said applicant, official, or employee requests an executive session. Again, emphasis added. No evidence of his request has been provided despite a request. And to be absolutely clear, the statute adds, upon the announcement by the local public body, the school board, to the public of the topic for discussion in the executive session, after such announcement may hold an executive session only at a regular or special meeting and for the sole purpose of considering any of certain, in parentheses, matters, except that no adoption of any proposed policy position, resolution, rule, regulation, or formal action shall occur at any executive session that is not open to the public. Mr. Rosencrantz agreed to the action, no doubt under some duress, and a legal action to void it would waste more district resources and perhaps his best interest. However, the Board of Education is now on notice that such actions will not be tolerated in the future. Admittedly, the Board of Education gave the minimum notice of special meeting to consider the termination of Rose, Mr. Rosencrantz, and discussions with legal counsel and considerations of action may be done in an executive session, including deciding the position to take in a termination action or settlement. But let's review the facts confirmed by the video recording on the special meeting. After the closed session for about an hour, with the board's attorney, the board and Mr. Rosencrantz announced an agreement. Then the board voted and adopted the settlement. That is action. Yes, it was done in open session. 
but there is no evidence that Mr. Rosencrantz waived his rights to an open session and public comment was taken after the action. How was the agenda or the meeting, and how were the terms so quickly agreed to, unless the board members discussed the possible action in private meetings or communications among the board members? The law is clear. No action may be taken at a special or general board meeting without being open to the public and comments taken. The minutes and videos show it was a done deal without abiding by those requirements. A recent court case in Douglas County, also after a superintendent dismissal, held that one-on-one discussions between school board meetings at which public business is discussed and or decisions reached is a violation of the purpose of the statute, not just its spirit. The court said the action cannot be simply a rubber stamp as to do so circumvents the legality of the open meetings law. The board discussions and decisions were not made openly, but in closed session. That is more than simply receiving confidential legal advice. Sure, at the next open general meeting, the board heard public comments, but it did not state the special session was just a proposal. It was a decision. No action or vote was taken after open discussions or public comment. All of this demonstrates a blatant disregard of transparency, respect of public participation, and apparently the law. Similar decisions or actions may result in community action. So I want to make it really clear that I I did not write that. I had nothing to do with it. The only thing I did was read it on the air here, on the interwebs. And, um, you know, I, I did get it a little bit early. I got it like 11.45 on Sunday night, as I said. Um, and uh, so it, it it's uh, from a group of stakeholders in the community, uh, the same group that put together the 150 person signed um, letter to the the uh, Board of Education that the president, Stacey Furry, didn't want to read. It, it was one of the uh, existing board members, Jason, that stood up and said, no, we're going to read this. So um, hopefully they respond to that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, you know, there are there is talk of uh, a recall happening. And uh, what I would say is we need to be careful with that. We need to make sure all our ducks are, are in a row. We need to make sure we have qualified candidates ready to go if that's the case. Um, you know, it may then be better just to work with what we got. You know, I, here's my opinion. My opinion is that there was a, a facilitated effort by a group of, of people with a certain specific political agenda here uh, locally in the Estes Park community that basically – put together all the signatures and, and stuff needed for um, these board members to this new batch of board members to run and kind of a conservative block, if you will. And, um, you know, basically presented it to them saying, Hey, do you want to run? That's my opinion. That's what I think happened. Um, I'm working on getting more actual proof on that, but those are my thoughts on it right now. Um, so yeah, that's the, the updates on the school district. So from here, we're going to jump into my interview with local Patty Brown. And again, we're going to just quick go over the uh, some of the updates for what's happening with the post office. We recently got a new uh, postmistress um, 
and uh, hasn't been officially announced yet, but uh, I believe she's in place. And um, man, things seem to be going back to the same old, same old. Uh, things seemed like they were doing better for a little bit, but I don't know. I'm hearing a lot of people saying they're not getting mail. Even even if you've got a, a, a post office box elsewhere, like at the the uh, UPS store or whatnot, um, they're just mails being returned for what seems like pretty petty reasons. Um, I've even heard hearsay of of some new employees coming in saying we've got to teach these people a lesson. Now that's just hearsay, but uh, there's no doubt that we have just struggled with postal office issues here in Estes Park to the point where state government has become involved. And um, I think we've even been part of a documentary about how bad, like the worst post offices there are. And, and we're, we're one of them, at least according to that documentary. All right. Well, let's just jump into this interview and uh, that'll be the episode for today. So here we go. All right, folks, we're here with Patty Brown today of Estes Park, Colorado, and um, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. Uh, first off, we're just going to get a quick update on the post office, and there may be an update coming very rapid fire after this, um, but it's an issue that's been affecting all of us, and uh, she's very much in the know and plugged into what's happening there, and uh, we'll, hopefully we'll be able to get a better idea as to what is actually happening over at the post office. But more importantly, we're going to be talking about the uh, the fundraising for the Kahuna, the big Kahuna Memorial for the uh, the large bull elk that was so iconic here at Estes Park. So, hi Patty, thanks for uh, joining me today. And if you could just introduce yourself to my listeners and and let them know kind of what brought you to Estes and and what you're doing here. Well, um, thank you for inviting me on. Um, I have a long history here through my husband and his family, Bill's family first um, bought property out here in Estes in the early 1960s and they um, built a vacation home from the, for themselves and they sold off lots um, to help pay for their home and they enjoyed coming out from Iowa to um, Colorado here and my husband ended up spending his youth out here in the summers and his first job was at the Kentucky Fried Chicken, which was just down the hill below his, underneath his parents' house, basically. And uh, when he was like 13, they used to let him drive the garbage truck across the street from the, from the Kentucky Fried to the dump, and he thought that was pretty cool. And then during the summers, he, through high school and college, he worked out here, and he drove a truck for the company that owned the concession stand up at the top of Trail Ridge Road. And then for one summer, he, in college, he played piano bar over at the Grand Lake Lodge until it burned down. He, we tease about the fact that he played so hot that the lodge burned. And uh, we still have a book of music that is uh, fire-scarred from that. We have five adult kids, and... They all came out and spent time with their grandparents here and attended Chile, and um, we just have always loved Colorado. And so when it, COVID hit, my husband is an attorney, and we were both working in Des Moines, and his law firm said, everybody go home and work from home. And we realized that home could be anywhere. And so we sort of expedited retirement plans and uh, knew we wanted to be here. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the post office. So you've been tell us how you plugged into that and what's kind of been going on with it. Well, we moved to Estes in 2020 and um, had our mail 
transferred, of course, from the residents in Iowa. We were in the Des Moines metro area to here, and we were having glitches. And I was frustrated with that, but I was hearing rumors and rumblings that other people were having glitches. And I ended up calling Representative Nagusa's office, and I talked with one of his aides who plugged me into talking with Amanda Karen, who lives over on Storm Mountain. And Amanda had grouped with some residents over there about post office issues. And we kind of joined forces um, last summer. It, we actually, it was started in April, but we joined forces to sort of say, you know, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. We wanted to see something better happen. I didn't like having mail returned that people hadn't addressed completely properly. It was still addressed to me at the UPS store, but there were still some problems. And we talked to Nagusa's office, we talked to Senator Bennett's office, and through social media, the great de democratic way of reaching people, we were able to really reach out to the community and hear stories. And we presented a lot of those at a forum last August. And we think we tried to effectuate some change. The post office removed the postmaster and the supervisor. Um, because there were just horrendous stories of people just not being treated respectfully in addition to the fact that they were having mail problems. And, and I think I relate to you earlier, you know, this is something that seems to affect everyone, but if you're someone who's reliant on the Postal Service, specifically the United States Postal Service, for, you know, Social Security, Medicaid, medication, you, you know, the things that, say, my wife needs just to survive um, and and we just gave up. I mean, literally, I, I've had to tell people that are sending me stuff, we have given up on the post office. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's something that's far-reaching as far as issues go here in Essence. It absolutely is. I talked this morning to a gentleman in town who's a musician who's a disabled vet, and he has had so many problems getting packages properly delivered to him. And he shared a photograph with me this morning of a package that had been properly addressed to him that had been returned as not deliverable. And so today I'm going to go talk to um, the post office here in town and just say, tell me what's wrong with this address on this package um, and why this was returned to the sender. Um, another woman reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, we're new here to town, but I'm not getting my mail. So I went down to the post office and was told that unless I come in personally to tell them I'm here, they won't deliver my mail. It's like, where is that written as a rule? If that's a local policy, that's one thing, but that needs to be like plastered all over town that you need to go introduce yourself at the post office in order to get your mail. She had filled out the online forms from where she'd been previously living to transfer her address to her new house here in town. And the post office just wasn't delivering her mail to her home. And, um, you know, th that kind of stuff is just mind bending because other people will say, well, I never had to go to the post office and tell them I moved. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, what, what? where does it sit now? I don't know. We Technically, we have a new postmaster in town, but this person hasn't been formally introduced or formally installed yet by the U.S. Postal Service. They, they recently said something, I think, about maybe doing that in June at some point. Um, so... Officially, the town doesn't even know who this person is. Um, hopefully, that will be made known soon, and this person will want to become a 
integral part of our community. There used to be a time where the postmaster was, you know, almost as important as a mayor in a small yeah. town. Um, you know, they would hold a position of, of esteem, and that was important. And the mail is vitally important to people who rely on it for meds and social security checks and bank statements. And we had had problems with getting, you know, we were selling a house and buying a house, and so we had problems with, you know, Wells Fargo mail being returned to them. And um, it, that just can't happen on a, we're a community of 6,000 residents, 11,000 neighbors overall in the Estes Valley. We're, we're small town, but we're not tiny. Right. You know, this is, we need to have an efficient post office system. Absolutely. All right, well, let's, let's move on to the bigger story that's kind of more your, your, your passion project. This so is. Tell me, tell, first off, for the listeners that maybe say not in the Estes Park sure. community or not even in the state of Colorado, tell us about mm -hmm. the Big Kahuna. Well, the Big Kahuna is a magnificent elk, was a magnificent elk, who they think lived probably close to 12 years um, and died this early, early spring. He was last seen, I believe, alive in March in early March. So they think he must have passed away sometime in, oh, like maybe the second week or so of March, because photographers had seen him around the 7th and the 8th, and then his carcass was found. He was a magnificent giant elk, about 1,100 pounds. And he was just sort of known as the king of Moraine Park. Um, he had a majestic presence. He had a unique bugle. He had a phenomenal rack on his head. Um, I, and he was known for a very long third tine on his antlers. He was beautiful. He's arguably maybe the most photographed elk, modern elk, in, in Rocky Mountain National Park. I, I know. I've taken a ton of pictures of him. And, and actually, he would come every spring right around now and bed down with another bull, a younger bull, um, right in my front yard underneath our front tree. Like every spring for like a week or two. They would just hang out mid-afternoon, kind of underneath our big pine tree, and just take a nap. How wonderful. That, that's quite a gift to have had that experience. So after his um, demise, after his death, the, the second big story was that um, his skull and his remaining antler, because he must have shed one antler, still had right. one antler on his skull. Somebody decapitated him and took that. And so that also made news and riled up the people who love wildlife were in you know in awe and of kahuna and a man who has a house here in estes john combs put some messages out on social media wanting to kind of gather folks that maybe wanted to quote unquote do something sort of to memorialize him and john collected a group of about a dozen or more of us many photographers writers i'm a writer <clears throat> and um some people with backgrounds in communications law and and um uh, accounting and whatnot to come together to kind of form a, a committee to see if we couldn't maybe do a memorial. Now, it's one thing just to put together a statue. Let's, you know, have a memorial to Kahuna, but 30 years from now, who the heck is Kahuna? What's important, though, is that this is an opportunity to do some important wildlife education and to do some things to maybe protect people. And I signed on to this project because last fall I had watched two incidences, one at Bond Park yep. with people who got too close to Kahuna. And one man was trying to feed, or not to Kahuna, but to the elk that were gathered in Bond Park. And I think a lot of our tourists, Jason, 
come here thinking, oh, this is like a, a petting zoo. These must be very gentle, giant, tame animals. And the truth of it is during fall rut season, these animals, the, the males are full of testosterone. They can be very aggressive. Um, they can outrun a human. An elk can run 40 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. And so and people don't understand how massive they they're are. Massive, they're massive. They're huge. And if you get gored by those antlers, you can f suffer serious injury. And the other thing is, if an elk gets aggressive and hurts someone, then the elk can be put down. And that's this is adds to the tragedy, so that you can have an injured or possibly a, someone who gets killed. And then you also have the tragedy of seeing the wildlife who are wild. It's their town. We're just living in it. And if you don't respect that, that's a problem. And a lot of our tourists come here from cities. They've never been around these animals. And I think they're just in awe of them. I don't look at the tourists as ignorant. I just look at them as uninformed. So I wanted last fall to figure out what we could do to better educate people. Like, couldn't we get bronze plaque signage around Bond Park and Lake Estes and you know all kinds of places to say to people, and, and maybe like, you know, things that could be put into menus or in hotel rooms or whatever, saying, keep your distance, you know, respect. You know, they say at least 75, I think, um, feet minimum yeah. distance. So anyway, this project came up and I was like, I'm all over this. And the people that have gathered for this are just wonderful. Some people with some amazing talent, photographers that have offered to let us use their images to help promote the idea. So we have a high bar to sort of meet because last year, two years ago, Ron Wilcox from the Earthwood Collections pulled together an amazing group of people to also put together a monument sculpture park for, for women who have been historic icons in, uh, in, in Estes Park. And um, they did a beautiful uh, memorial park over here along the river. And because of the famousness of the sculpture artist, we've kind of got a high bar, I think, to, 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 to meet here. Um, I think there's a chance that with some more of this, Estes Park could become known as a sculptor um, sort of mecca and, and a de destination. Much so, like Loveland with their... Exactly. And we have the foundries down there, and we have the, the sculptor artists. So anyway, that's our goal. We think that we need to raise maybe about $150,000 to do this right. We're having conversations with lots of, lots of people, um, stakeholders in the Estes community. Um, we want to build this as a community project, but we also want to allow tourists to come here and enjoy our project or enjoy our community to help us with this project. So we have a um, social, or what's it called, a crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing Go platform. Yeah, yeah, it is GoFundMe. And I think this morning, we are not even two weeks into our public campaign. We are close to $12,000 in fundraising, oh, wow. which is not bad. No, not for just starting off. <laughs> not for just starting off. We've had like one press release story to date. Um, so we have Facebook, of course, and we've got other social platforms, Twitter. Um, and our hope is, is that we can have something monumental to commemorate the legacy of this magnificent elk. Um, he was very inspirational to photographers and wildlife lovers, but to also do some very needed wildlife education for people, public safety education, 
um, for future generations. And, and I think it could be tied into that really easily. We were talking, I think, last night on the phone, and um, you know, having physically showing, like from the statue, like this is a safe distance, something, something that gives a, a visual reference. And I think that could actually do a lot of good. It could. It really could. We have this wonderful festival in the fall. I think this year it's October 1st and 2nd, the Elk Fest. People come here, they droves, droves of thousands of people come up to Estes Park to experience our elk, to go up to Moraine Park, to watch the experience of all these elk that descend in this community. Um, you know, it's interesting. We we had thousands upon thousands of elk in Rocky Mountain National Park in the 1800s. And as people arrived, they were overhunted. And <coughs> by about 1880 or so, they think that all the elk were hunted out. They just yeah. had disappeared completely. And in 1913 and 1914, um, 49 elk were brought in from Yellowstone, I think it was, yeah. and repopulated. And so today, the population of elk is maybe around 3,000, maybe a little more in our area. Seems like more. It, it though, does seem it? like more to me. I mean, you see some of the big herds coming, you know, in the meadows of like 36, and there's just <laughs> so many. So it just re it fills a whole, yes, you know, little canyon area there, a little it, meadow. It's we've partnered with the Art Center of Estes Park. We're so tickled. They um, are a 501c3 organization, and they had partnered with the Women's Memorial Project. Yeah. And so we approached them and said, this is what we'd like to do. And they said yes, because they understood that this would be an important um, public art installation. We don't have a spot yet for it. We don't know where it's going to be that. Well, one of our internal committees is the design and build team, and they will work with whatever artist is selected. There will be a request for proposals that will be coming out in a little bit, but we want to raise a little more money before we do that. And a site will be selected. Ideally, you know, one one site that we've talked about would be possibly the store up near um, um, Moraine Park. If, but that's very difficult because that's federal land. Who knows? Right. Um, another idea might be just close to the entrance of Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, people have suggested some areas here in town. There's some crowded areas. We do, we want it to be an a place where tourists can enjoy it, locals can enjoy it, but we also don't want it to be like um, something that's just clutters the area either, right. you know. So if, if people want to get involved either through, I mean, the donation will be through the GoFundMe site, and I will put the link in at the Perfect. in the bottom of the show notes for Thank that. Thank you. Um, but if they want to plug in, if they're locals and want to be a part of this, sure. what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can reach us through, um, we have a, a Facebook page, and I'll give you the the URLs for all of that, okay, and we those as well. and we also have a, a just a, a website, and then this we're really excited because this weekend we will be at Bond Park with the art market, we will be at the table with the art center of Estes Park, and we're gonna um, we're gonna be there all weekend. We have materials to pass out. We want to engage and talk with the community. Um, we're so excited. I mean we. Yesterday, on Sunday, I had posted out something on the Elk and Estes Park website about it, and I think we've had over 100 likes on that so far, so I know that people are engaged, they are interested. Um, it'll be fun to watch this project unfold over the summer and fall. 
Um, the people who raised the money for the Women's Memorial did it basically between December and May, the year that they raised their funds. And um, we're just getting started. And they did not use social, or they did not use like crowdsourcing. But we think that's important. Um, I have meetings set up this week with several, uh, like I'm going to talk with Visit Estes Park this week. And I have a meeting with one of the banks in town. Um, we have a... Um, an advisory, uh, like an honorary advisory committee as well, that we want people who would lend their name to sit on it. It's it's not a worker bee committee. They don't have to do the heavy lifting of the actual committee work, but just to lend their support to the project and say, yeah, this is what we want to do. We want to sponsor this. We're going to look for grant monies. We're going to look at major corporations in the state of Colorado. All right. Well, sounds like you're off to a good start. Thank you. Yeah, well, this is going to be exciting. We can do another maybe interview when we get ready for the dedication. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you have updates, either either sure. on either topics, just let me know. I'm happy to have you come on and, and let my listeners know what's going on. Thank you. I appreciate the time to be with the Colorado Switchblade. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon, and uh, we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, Jason. All right, folks. Well, that is the episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Lots of information packed in there. And man, I just, I've got so many interviews lined up and already done. And there's just a lot of stuff to get out there. So, uh, and I've got, I'm so behind on writing. Well, for today, anyway, I'm on, I'm on schedule for the book, but um, just need to, to sit down today. I've still got another interview, two more interviews to do today. And then, uh, hopefully get some writing in before I crash out and go to sleep. All right, folks. Well, I hope you had a great uh, Tuesday. As great as it can be anyway. It is. We are getting plenty of rain. But uh, all right. Well, I will talk with you again soon. You've been listening to the Colorado Switchblade, and I'm your host, Jason Van Tatenhove. I'll talk with you again soon. <laughs>